Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Turn to the Gospel of Luke and that to chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we'll be reading from verse 25 to 38. As we continue in this exposition, hear God's word. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fallen rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise You for the fountain that we have in Jesus Christ. And we ask now that You would draw us to drink deeply from Him. As we give ourselves to the exposition of Your Word, turn our hearts afresh to the Savior. And by Your Holy Spirit, cause faith to rise and affections to increase. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Nunc dimittis. Nunc dimittis. Now let your servant depart. This is the title of the fourth and final song in Luke's Gospel surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. When the Son of God entered into the world in the likeness of our flesh, there needed to be a worship service or else the stones scattered throughout the hills of Bethlehem, they would have cried out. And we saw that first in the soul of Mary when she was given the news of her divine conception. And she's saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. And then Mary's Magnificat was followed by Zechariah's Benedictus, where the aged priest gave praises to God, not so much for providing for him a son, but a Savior. But then heaven came down to earth when the Christ was born and He brought with Him the eternal praise that has always been given to Him by the angels in heaven. And they sang, Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. Well, Luke now arrives to the last song in the worship service of Jesus' birth. And it is sung by rather an unknown individual whose name is Simeon. But Simeon isn't the only stranger to interact with the Lord's family while in Jerusalem. We are introduced to a woman 
named Anna at the end of chapter 2. Well, the question is, who are these two people? And why did God invite them into the celebration of the Lord's birth? And so that's what we're going to look at in our time together. We're going to begin with Simeon, and then we're going to close with Anna. Well, if you recall from last Lord's Day, it was a pretty eventful day in the family's first trip to Jerusalem. They had various mosaic obligations to follow. After having circumcised Jesus on the eighth day, they took the seven-mile walk from Bethlehem up to the Temple Mount. And there they offered the sacrifice of two birds for Mary's purification and Jesus' presentation. They were the sacrifices necessary along with five shekels for a woman who had just given birth and for the ransom payment of the firstborn son. But before they could finish, before they could make their way back to their temporary home in Bethlehem, by God's providence, they met a man whom they had never seen before. Well, who is this man? And why is he here? Now, there are a few things that Luke tells us about Simeon. And the first is that Simeon wasn't really anyone that the people of Israel would have noticed. He wasn't at the temple because he worked there, which is to say he wasn't a priest like Zechariah. Nor was he a part of any ruling party like the Pharisees or the social elite as a Sadducee. But he was an ordinary man. He was a normal, everyday man. You could say that he was a lay man. But even though nothing is provided for us as to his occupation, Luke, he, he tells us something far more important. His character. He was righteous. And he was devout. And when the Bible tells us that a man was righteous, it means that he was a man that looked to God in trusting obedience. Simeon was godly. He was devoted to God. This is the first thing that we're told about him. I want you to notice, Christian, that, that God doesn't simply use those that are extremely gifted for His service. Or those who have titles for ministry to further His purposes in the church. He uses ordinary people. He uses normal people. He uses everyday people. People like Simeon who might not possess a title, but who possess the more important thing, godliness and devotion. You know, I know I criticized Christmas plays a little bit last Sunday. But what if we were to have a play and bring the cast of characters surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ together? What if we were to bring them all together? What would we see? All different kinds of people. Think about all the characters who are invited to the incarnation of God's Son. An aging priest. A barren woman. A young virgin. A poor carpenter. A group of shepherds. A layman. An elderly widow, which we'll see at the end of the chapter. And you line them up side by side and there's nothing really that they all have in common. Except one thing. They have been brought together because of Jesus Christ. And we find that with each and every one of them, there, there is a devotion to Him. That's why they're all here. And what's true of the cast of characters here in the Gospel of Luke, isn't it also true here? Why have we been brought together, church? For the very same reason. Jesus Christ. 
That's one of the reasons why I love the church and that the people of God can never become secondary to me. I have a bond that I share with you that is unlike any other. Well, Simeon was like any other man, but he was righteous and devout. And Luke goes on to tell us secondly that he was waiting, look at verse 25, for the consolation of Israel. Now for us to appreciate what that means for Simeon, we have to understand the time in which he lived. And that the conditions of Israel were, were pretty bad. Politically, they had no independence as they were ruled by King Herod. Spiritually, their faith was really no faith at all as it was reduced to mere externals with extra-biblical requirements, man-made traditions. They were led by the legalism of the scribes and the Pharisees, the worldliness of the Sadducees. Israel as a whole had abandoned God. Most of its people had gone astray. But in the midst of all this darkness and despair, there were, there were a few like Simeon waiting. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. Anticipating the redemption of Israel. Holding on to the hope of God's promise in the one who was to come. What we discover in Simeon is a man who possessed true and genuine faith. You know, if you were with us this past Thursday, Pastor Dave, in the book of Hebrews, he delivered a powerful sermon about the surety of the promises of God. And the example which the writer of Hebrews gave to us was of Abraham. And Hebrews 6.15 says that Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. And this is what we see in Simeon. And here's the reason why. He believed God and he believed God's Word. It's very simple. He believed God and he believed God's Word. He trusted no matter what was going on around him. Despite the despairing conditions of his time, Simeon believed God with the eyes of faith. He knew God had made a promise. And he trusted God would make good on his promise. Beloved, that is faith. Trusting God at His Word. But let me ask this question. How did Simeon come to know these promises? He had read his Old Testament. And it's not just that he read certain passages or particular prophecies of the coming of a Redeemer. No, I mean he read the entirety of his Old Testament. And what Simeon saw in the whole of the Old Testament was the indisputable fact that the message of the Bible is the story of God's redemption. His promise to save His people. And so book after book, story after story, covenant after covenant, promise after promise is the resounding word of God's redeeming love. And so Simeon, by faith, acted upon those promises. He lived his life according to those promises, which is why we find him here waiting. Christian, that right there is faith. You know, faith, unlike what the world thinks is faith, as faith is not having a positive mental attitude about something. Nor is it some kind of holy hunch. Nor is it some kind of mystical feeling. But faith is the confident assurance, the settled conviction in the promises of God that enables me to live 
and trusting obedience in the present. That's faith. Christian believer, are you, are you convinced of what God has said to you in His Word? Are you convinced? Do you have a settled conviction about what God has said to you in His Word? Are you living in the present because of what you know God has promised to you in the future? Are you even aware of the promises of God to you? I, I challenge you to come out to midweek. Come out to midweek on Thursdays. The book of Hebrews is a book that gives promise after promise. The promise of better and lasting possessions. The promise of a great reward. The promise of life in Christ. The promise of entering God's rest. And it goes on and on and on. And you see, this is not just Christian vocabulary. God speaks to us through His Word. Faith is trusting God at His Word. And Simeon, he did just that. And Luke tells us in verse 26 here, that it was revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so I imagine Simeon walking the streets of Jerusalem and upon seeing every baby boy wondering, is he the one? Could he be the Christ? Well, how did he know? Because Jesus, he looked like every other Jewish boy. There wasn't a halo around his head. There weren't angelic creatures surrounding his stroller. He didn't have a onesie that said, I am the Christ. No. So how did Simeon know? Well, Luke tells us, by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, God, by His Spirit, had revealed the identity of the Christ to him. Now there's something we need to see here thirdly about Simeon. Notice how many times that the Holy Spirit engaged him. Luke says in verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't see death before seeing the Christ. Verse 27, he came into this temple in the Spirit. He was constantly in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. All of Simeon's activities are influenced by the Holy Spirit. There's a school of thought that believes that in the Old Testament or under the Old Covenant, that the Holy Spirit only operated upon certain individuals like the king, like the king of Israel, or a prophet, or a high priest. Well, I don't think that's an accurate understanding of the Spirit. How did anyone in the Old Testament come to faith? Their hearts had to be regenerated. And how were their hearts regenerated? By their own power? By their own self-will? Absolutely not. Fallen human beings have always been unable to save themselves. Which is why whether you go to the New Testament in Romans chapter 3 or the Old Testament in Psalm 53, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. And no one, hear this, seeks for God. Hearts can only be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And this is what has taken place in this man, Simeon. 
And not only regenerated by the Holy Spirit, but transformed by the Holy Spirit and changed by the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit and controlled by the Holy Spirit. He isn't a king. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He's just a believer. And that's all he needs to be. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. Looking for the fulfillment of God's promise. And he's filled. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, in Simeon, we're, we're given an example of the influence of the Holy Spirit. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians 5.18? He says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and make, making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Notice what Paul is saying here. What is the dominating influence in your life? For a drunkard, it's his alcohol. But notice sinful men and women, they can get intoxicated with a lot of other things, can't they? With their work. With their leisure and their, their hobbies. With money. With the culture. With themselves. You can fill in the blank. Paul says the world can get drunk with a lot of different things. But Christian, we are those who are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Can I ask you, is your life spiritually minded? Are you thinking spiritual thoughts? Are you having spiritual conversations with people? Are you making decisions in your life with a spiritual priority? Now here was Simeon, and he came into the temple in the Spirit. And when he saw Joseph and Mary bring the Lord Jesus with them to do what was required of the law, he then took the child. Now that must have been an interesting experience at the least, right? I think any other parent would have thought that their child was being kidnapped, right? But things had already been so unusual for Joseph and Mary. So maybe they weren't all that surprised. But Simeon, taking the child in his arms, blessed God and gave these Spirit-inspired words. He said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Notice fourthly what we see about Simeon. He was ready to die. There's a lot of talk in this passage about Simeon and death. It was revealed to him that he would not see death before seeing the Christ. Well, was Simeon an old man? Possibly. But we're not given any actual evidence of that. But however old he may have been, he was prepared to die. Not that he wanted to die, there's a difference, but that he was ready to die. Beloved, we should all be ready to die. And you might be thinking, but I am. I have a great life insurance policy that will take care of my family. I have an ample amount of reserves and investments lined up. I have a trust set up and my lawyer has my will. I am ready to die. No, no, no. You see, all those things have to do with 
things of no eternal worth or value. Simeon is not talking about a readiness with the world in mind, but heaven, with the things that matter for eternity. You see, Simeon said this, I am ready to depart in peace, not because he had all his earthly affairs in order, not that kind of inconsequential peace, but because of an everlasting peace. He said, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. It was a peace that comes from heaven of the salvation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. For Simeon, the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he wouldn't die before seeing the Christ. And so upon placing his eyes upon the very salvation of God, he was ready to go. But you see, that that principle right there has wider application for us. Because you see, anyone who has seen Jesus with the eyes of faith is prepared to die. And anyone who has not seen him, whether young or old, is not ready to die at all. For those of you here in this room who are not ready, I know and you know that there is no peace. And it's because your sins, your sins, they, they condemn you, do they not? They weigh heavily upon your soul. They bear a guilt and a burden that you can't somehow shake. Maybe it doesn't bother you for most of the day. But when you find yourself thinking about your life and your soul, it disturbs you. And those feelings are right and true because God is holy and you are not. And He stands before you as the rightful arbiter of your soul. To be in this position, there will never be peace, but only judgment. I remember as a 19-year-old thinking, if I were to die tonight, I would forever be ruined. I remember that. But the gospel of God's salvation comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The eternal God came down to us in the weakness of our flesh and entered into our condition. He never sinned, but always loved God. He never wavered, but always obeyed God. But this child came to us in order to die. He was ready and prepared to die. And he set his face toward the cross to do for ruined sinners what we and ourselves could never do. He was bruised and he was beaten and he was crucified to a cross. And there the payment of sin for those who came, he came to save was laid. Bearing the wrath of God, he breathed his last and he died. And you see, the gospel is that Christ, in taking upon himself God's wrath, made peace. Made peace for sinners by the blood of his cross. And that peace was secured when God raised him from the dead, from death to life. If you're not a Christian, as you consider your soul, as you contemplate your life, are you ready to die? Be honest with yourself. Have you come to peace with God through His Son, Jesus Christ? 
Look to Him in His saving work. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, for apart from Him, there is no peace. Simeon possessed this peace. And having seen the Lord's salvation, he declared, I am ready to depart. And you see, Christian, death is something, just to be fair and honest, death is something which all of us, all of us, to one degree or another, we all fear. Makes sense. Hebrews chapter 9 says that it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. I think about COVID in those beginning months, just how much people were gripped. They were gripped by the fear of death. And in many believers, they were actually overtaken by it. Sadly, overtaken by death much more than the one who is the Lord of life. Notice here in our passage, Simeon, that he was held captive. Not by the fear of death, but notice here in this passage, it's very subtle here in his song. He says, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. In other words, Lord, Master, let your servant depart in peace. In other words, he was held captive by the Master of heaven and earth. This is whom he served. Our master is not our health, nor is it the fear of death, but the one who has all the power over life and death. And so we ought to serve him, Christian. We ought to serve the Lord of life. Now there's one more thing here before we move on to Anna. As Simeon took the child in his arms and he spoke, what was it that caused Mary and Joseph, to marvel at what he said. You'll see that in verse 33. Look at verse 33 with me. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Well, what did they hear that wasn't told to them already? Because they heard a lot of things. And it's this. That their child was not just Israel's long-expected Savior, but that of the whole world, including Gentiles. That was huge for Joseph and Mary to hear. Verse 32 says, A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Notice that Christ is described as light to the Gentiles and glory for Israel. Now it's not that Christ wasn't the light of Israel but more so of the Gentiles who were without the revelation of God. They were the pagans lost in utter darkness. And so it made sense that Christ was the light of the Gentiles. And for Israel, He is their glory. And again, not that He's not the glory of the Gentiles, but when God called the people of Israel out of bondage, the glory was always with them. Remember? The Shekinah glory by cloud. Associated with Israel was the glory of God whose manifest presence was always before them in that most sacred place in the Holy of Holies. But what happened to the glory? We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 4 when in the capturing of the ark, the wife of Phineas, she gives birth and names her son 
Ichabod. Which means, the glory has departed from Israel. In their unfaithfulness, the glory had left them. Who would be Israel's Savior? Who would be Israel's glory? Simeon said, my eyes have seen, and notice what he says, the salvation of the Lord as he held the child in his arms. No matter how far down they had fallen, no matter how far they have been removed from the glory, they were never out of the saving reach of God. And this is something that we see in the next person here that Joseph and Mary encountered at the temple, a woman by the name of Anna. Notice firstly, we're told information about this woman that isn't really given to us about the other cast of characters. She was, notice, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Why does it matter, Luke, whose daughter she was? Why does it matter, Luke, from what tribe she came? It's because technically, she didn't exist. She came from the tribe of Asher, one of the ten tribes from the northern kingdom. And if you remember your Old Testament history, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, they were taken into captivity by the Assyrians, never to come out again. And I think Pastor Eric talked about this in the last uh, Sunday school. The ten tribes gradually assimilated with the people around them. And they disappeared from history. Thus being called the lost tribes of Israel. But Luke tells us that even a person from one of the lost tribes of Israel can be found. That no one is outside the saving power of God. What a testament to the strength of God's grace. And that's fitting because that, that was the very meaning of her name. Her name is Anna, which means grace. And we're told secondly here that she was a prophetess. Now there aren't many of those in the Bible. We think of Deborah in the book of Judges. Possibly Acts 21, Philip's four unmarried daughters who prophesied. But what's interesting about Anna is this. She's called the prophetess. But if you recall from the beginning of Luke, if you've been following along with Luke, God had not spoken for 400 years. I mean, that's what prophets do. They speak God's Word. But for over 400 years, God was silent. He was silent until He came to Zechariah, whose name means the Lord remembers. But how could she be a prophetess if God had not spoken? It's because through Anna, God was going to speak. Notice verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. Prophets only speak when given the revelation of God. What we find in Anna is that she only speaks when God tells her to speak. And when she speaks, she only speaks God's Word. 
And so it is oftentimes the problem in God's church to find a preacher who will only speak God's word. So she was from the tribe of Asher. And she was a prophetess. And thirdly, look with me in the second part of verse 36 here. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Well, she was an old woman advanced in years. She was with her husband for only seven years until he passed away. Which means that for the rest of her life until the age of 84, or it can mean for an additional 84 years, she spent her life as a widow. Now, if she were to have gotten married at 14, which was normal around in this context, this woman would have been 105. Well, why is that information relevant to us? It's because Luke provides for us an example of a person who was devoted to God through every different season of life. There was a time when Anna was a young virgin. In those days, she served God by getting to know Him and preserving her purity. And then she got married. And so she served God primarily by loving and helping her husband. But only after seven years of marriage, she was called to be a widow. God released her from that duty of caring for a family so that she could live in single-hearted devotion to Him. You see, Anna, in whatever situation, in whatever station in life, the Lord had for her, it didn't change her worship. It didn't change her devotion. Beloved, what's your situation? And I know you often think about your situation. Whether you're a mom with young kids, whether you're single, I know you think about your situation. And what often plagues the devotion of Christian believers is their circumstances. But beloved, that ought never be an excuse for us. He wants us to honor Him and treasure Him in each and every period of our lives. And that might look different. But the heart of worship, the heart of devotion will never change. In what place has, has God called you in this very season of your life? Again, is it a family with young kids? Is it, is it maybe in the older stage in life with your kids out of the house? Is it singleness? Whatever God calls you to do, there you are to love and to serve Him. In the case of Anna, look at verse 37. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. We see her devotion. Well, why did the Lord bring these two individuals, Simeon and Anna, into the story of His Son's incarnation. Why are they here? Why are they here in Luke and not any other Gospel accounts? I think because Luke is giving an argument. And that to his friend Theophilus. 
who is doubting and wavering as to the gospel of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. And this is the reason as to why Luke has written this gospel. To persuade Theophilus of who Christ is and what Christ came to do. And here Luke is presenting to him the evidence of two or three witnesses, Simeon and Anna, to testify regarding the Savior. You see, Luke is writing this gospel roughly about 30 years following the death and resurrection of Christ. And in that time, the church had grown. We know the church had grown. We read in the book of Acts, the church had increased, but not without opposition. It's very likely that while Luke was literally compiling this gospel, that Paul, whom he had followed, was imprisoned in Caesarea. And they had traveled together, which allowed Luke to travel throughout Jerusalem to interview key individuals like Mary. And so he was writing his gospel very much in the thick of conflict and hostility, which is why Theophilus needed to be assured. He needed certainty concerning the things he had been taught. And so it shouldn't have been a surprise when Theophilus read in Luke chapter 2 what Simeon told Mary. Notice back in this story in chapter 2 that after the sacrifices were offered for Mary's purification and Jesus' presentation and following Simeon's declaration, that Simeon said some private words to Mary. Look at verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What did Simeon say on the side to Mary? You see, everything that Mary had heard up until this point from others, News of great joy. This is what the angel told her. The Savior has come. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth among men with whom God is pleased. But notice here, Simeon tells Mary the consequences of it. Not all will believe it. Not all will receive Him. People will despise Him. He will be a stumbling block, a rock of offense, which makes men fall. And it may be that Mary thought that her child was going to be the Savior over all of Israel. But He gives her a cold, hard reality check. No. And He says this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. In other words, Mary, your child will be a great divider. There is no neutrality in responding to Him. One is either for Him or against Him. He was a sign opposed. Well, what does a sign do? It points away from itself and to another. And that's what Christ did on this earth. He pointed away from Himself and to His heavenly Father, whose image He would reflect, 
whose works he would perform. He said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And in response, people absolutely hated him. They wanted to kill him. Like Simeon said, many hearts would be revealed. But that very opposition wouldn't end with the child, but carry over to its mother. Because look at what Simeon told Mary. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. It will be one of intense pain. Piercing anguish. What did Mary, what did Mary have to learn? Yes, this child is God's free and gracious gift to me. But once I receive him, it will be costly. This was Luke's message to Theophilus and to you and to me. Salvation is the complete doing of God through Christ, His Son. He has given His Son. He is free. The salvation He brings is free. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. But once you receive it, it will be costly. Jesus would go on to explain, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Beloved, it is costly, though it is free. Let's pray together. Holy God, our Father, we thank you for these two witnesses in Simeon and Anna for teaching us what it means to treasure Christ, to wait and to long for His salvation at all costs. And we ask that You would make us more faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus, that we would be daily taking up the cross, daily dying to ourselves and trusting in You, no matter what situation or circumstance or season of life You have us in. For wherever You want us, Lord, there we are. We confess that faith is often lacking, that our desires to serve You are many times weak. We focus our eyes on the things that don't really matter for eternity. And we fear not the Lord of life. And we ask that You would forgive us and strengthen Your church. Give to us a greater resolve to know the salvation that we have in Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.